Please turn with me in your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 27. Proverbs 27, and I'll be reading this morning verses 5 through 17. This is the inerrant word of God. Please give it your attention. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. One who is full loathes honey, but to one who is hungry everything bitter is sweet. Like a bird that strays from its nest is a man who strays from his home. Oil and perfume make the heart glad, and the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. Do not forsake your friend and your father's friend, and do not go to your brother's house in the day of your calamity. Better is a neighbor who is near than a brother who is far away. Be wise, my son, and make my heart glad that I may answer him who reproaches me. The prudent sees danger and hides himself, but the simple go on and suffer for it. Take a man's garment when he has put up security for a stranger and hold it in pledge when he puts up security for an adulteress. Whoever blesses his neighbor with a loud voice rising early in the morning will be counted as cursing. A continual dripping on a rainy day and a quarrelsome wife are alike. To restrain her is to restrain the wind or to grasp oil in one's right hand. Iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another. I think that we all will admit that social media, like Facebook and Snapchat, have had both positive and negative impacts on the way that we relate to other people. On the positive side, we are able to be in more frequent communication with friends and family members, and we've also found that it's much easier to stay in contact with people that are a great distance from us, and also to connect with people from our past that we would have and probably did lose touch with long ago. But if we're honest with ourselves, use of social media for many of us becomes a substitute and a distraction from the kind of face-to-face in-depth kind of conversation and relationship building with real people right in front of us uh, that we need to, in those relationships, we need to develop. I heard about one young man just a month ago who, uh, a man, young man in Australia, who has decided to address this problem of having many, many Facebook friends but not enough real friends. They decided to go out and make, he's gone on a quest, a three-year quest to have coffee with every single one of his 1,000 Facebook friends. That's good. I appreciate the effort. I don't know how much that will really help his relationship life, but I appreciate what he's trying to do, get beyond the superficiality of so much of the Internet relationship building that we tend to do. The book of Proverbs has a lot of wisdom about how we develop and maintain relationships, even for things like distinguishing between superficial friends, like Facebook friends, some of our Facebook friends, and real, real relationships. In Proverbs 18, verse 24, it says, A man of many companions, or a man of many Facebook friends, you could read, a man of many companions may come to ruin, 
but there is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. That's a very common theme in the book of Proverbs, that a few really good friends, real friends, are far more valuable than many superficial friends. As I was preparing this message, I came across this quote in an article. It said, Americans make a lot of friends quickly and then drop them lightly. What a statement on our culture. Americans make many friends quickly and then drop them lightly to the point where we've made unfriending a verb in our language. And I think the result is kind of like that old poem, the old sailor's poem, the mariner's poem, that said, water, water everywhere, but not a drop to drink as they were stranded out at sea. And I think that's true for a lot of us in relationships. Friends, friends everywhere, but not a real relationship to satisfy my loneliness. Proverbs adopts this theme of friendships because friendships are very important to our lives. And Proverbs teaches us what to look for in relationships, how to build them. But it also talks about what to avoid in friendships because there's other, there are bad relationships that are detrimental to our lives. So I want to look at that first. What are some of friendships to avoid according to Proverbs? It's interesting that the very first chapter, after starting out with that introductory portion where it talks about the importance of wisdom and, the, and it being based in the fear of the Lord, the very first section of instruction is the instruction from a father to a son about avoiding bad friendships. This is what he says, in verse, starting in verse 8 of chapter 1. My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. If they say, come with us, come, come, let us lie and wait for blood, let us ambush the innocent. We shall fill our houses with plunder, throw in your lot among us. My son, do not walk in the way with them. Hold back your foot from their paths, for their feet run to evil. His first and foremost concern was that he not develop friendships that would cause him to stray from the ways of truth and the ways of righteousness. He goes on in chapters 5 through 7 to talk a lot about the seductress, the prostitute, the adulteress, to stay away from her. He says in chapter 5, verse 8, keep your way from her and do not go near the door of her house. Chapter 5, verses 21 and 22, he says, For a man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord. The iniquities of the wicked ensnare him. He longs for his son to not get ensnared in relationships that will draw him into sinful ways of thinking, sinful attitudes, and sinful behaviors. Chapter 22, verses 24 and 25 say, Make no friendship with a man given to anger, Nor go with a wrathful man, lest you learn his ways and entangle yourself in a snare. You see the theme that develops in Proverbs is that friendships can become a snare to you that entrap you in wrong thinking, wrong attitudes, and wrong behavior. C.S. Lewis once wrote, Friendship can be a school of virtue, but also a school of vice. It makes good men better, and bad men worse. Honestly, I really think that's one of the problems with our prison system in this country. We use confinement in a prison as a punishment for almost every crime. And the problem is you take 
bad men, you take criminals and you put them in into a situation where they can only associate with other criminals, and guess what you get? More hardened criminals and no rehabilitation. Friendships can be either a school of virtue or a school of vice. Choose your friends carefully is really the message of the book of Proverbs. Remember Lot. Lot was Abraham's nephew. And Abraham generously, as he looked over the land of Palestine, said to him, choose which part of the land you would like to dwell in. And Lot selfishly chose the most beautiful, the most productive part of the land, but it also was the part of the land where Sodom was located and Gomorrah was located. And it was an area known for its wickedness. And Lot chose that region. And it says in the text that he pitched his tents towards Sodom. Well, later, the Lord comes to Abraham and tells him that judgment is about to be poured out on Sodom and Gomorrah. And the Lord sends his angels to rescue Lot. But when the angels get to Sodom, not only had Lot pitched his tents toward Sodom, but you find out he's actually living in the very heart of Sodom. And if you look at the language carefully, it says that Lot was sitting in the gates of Sodom. And if you know anything about Old Testament culture... That means he was a leader among the Sodomites. And you can tell later in the story how the culture, the friendships, the relationships that he had in Sodom had affected him and impacted his life. When the men gather at his door, he offers his virgin daughters to them as a way of appeasing them. And later, after he's delivered from Sodom in the judgment, He becomes drunken and commits incest. He pitched his tents towards Sodom. James chapter 4 verse 4 says, You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Be careful of the friendships that you develop in life. Paul addresses bad relationships ensnaring relationships in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Listen to what he says there. We always quote this passage when we're talking about marriage, when we're talking to our children, to tell our children to not get involved with unbelievers, to not marry unbelievers, but he doesn't talk about marriage in the context here anywhere. He's talking about any relationship that you would call a yoke, any time when you're yoked together with somebody, an intimate interdependent relationship with somebody and this is what he says do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers for what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness or what fellowship has light with darkness what accord has christ with belial or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever what agreement has the temple of god with idols for we are the temple of the living god as god has said i will make my dwelling among them and walk among them and i will be their god and they shall be my people therefore go out from their midst and be separate from them says the lord do not be ensnared in relationships that will draw you away from the lord do not be yoked with an unbeliever or a believer who acts like an unbeliever, I think we could rightly apply the text as well. This doesn't mean, and let me be clear to say, this doesn't mean that you shouldn't be friends with unbelievers. That's not what I'm saying. That's not what Paul is saying. Jesus was known as a friend to tax collectors and prostitutes and sinners of all types. 
Friendship is the best venue for communicating Christ to an unbeliever. But this passage and all the writings, the, 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 the theme that comes through in Proverbs, what it does say to us is that we shouldn't be friends with anyone who ensnares us in unbelief and sin. Whether they claim to be a believer or whether they're an unbeliever, you should not be unequally yoked so that it pulls you away from the Lord. There are both believers and unbelievers in our lives that are a bad influence on us. And yes, I'm certainly talking to children and teenagers where this is a very real and daily struggle. But I'm talking to adults as well. All of us have relationships in our lives that are ensnaring us. And we all need to be continually, Proverbs would have us continually asking ourselves the basic question is, do the friendships in my life, does this particular friendship, whatever friendship you're thinking of, does this draw myself and the person I'm in a relationship with, does it draw us closer to Christ or does it draw us away from Christ? You've got to ask that question about every relationship in your life. Does it draw me to Christ or does it draw me away from Christ? Is my relationship with this person drawing that person to Christ or is my relationship with that person drawing me and them away from Christ? Proverbs would say avoid ensnaring friendships. But what do you look for in a good relationship then? What are the characteristics of a good friendship? Because friendships are a gift from God. They they are. We need friendships. We are made in God's image. And the God who made us is a triune God. He has eternally existed as three persons in one God. That means he's eternally relational within himself. And so when he created us, he created beings in his image, which means not that we are triune, but it means that we are relational. That we need relationship with others. When he made Adam, he looked at everything he had made, especially Adam, and said it's all very good. But then he looked at Adam in another way and said, you know, it's not good. It's not good that the man be alone. And so he made Eve. And yes, that's the first marriage. And marriage is much more than a friendship, but it's certainly not less than a friendship. And every good marriage is a great friendship. It is not good that we be alone. Jesus sent out his disciples when he sent them out to preach the gospel and take the gospel of the kingdom to the the surrounding lands. He sent them out two by two, by example, showing us that we need each other. We need friendships as we carry about the work and the mission that he's called us to do. And the book of Proverbs teaches us what kind of friendships to look for. First of all, we're to look for friends that have constancy. That's my first C word for the day, constancy. Chapter 17, verse 17 says, A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity kind of friends that the Lord wants us to have are the kind of friends that love us at all times. Proverbs, over and over again, warns against fair-weather friends. Friends who are only there for what they can, you, they can get out of you. It describes it in terms of wealth in chapter 19. Listen to this. Chapter 19, beginning in verse 
4. Wealth brings many new friends, but a poor man is deserted by his friend. A false, uh, verse 6, many seek the favor of a generous man, and everyone who is a friend, everyone is a friend to a man who gives gifts. Verse 7, all a poor man's brothers hate him. How much more do his friends go far from him? He pursues them with words, but does not have them. Worldly friendships are selfish at the core. You scratch my back, I'll scratch your back. That's the principle. But that's not what Proverbs teaches us about our friendships in Christ. True friendships are grace-based, not works-based. True friendships are grace-based and not works-based. Chapter 24, verse 29 says, Do not say of your neighbor or your friend, I will do to him as he has done to me. I will pay the man back for what he has done. You see, that's the world's principle. Scratch your back, you scratch my back, I'll scratch your back. Do not make that the principle of your friendship. I will repay you according to how you do to me. Instead, chapter 19, verse 11 says it's to a man's glory to overlook an offense. Or chapter 17, verse 9, whoever covers an offense seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates close friends. You see, it's the gospel that enables us to truly be friends, the kind of friends that are friends in foul weather as well as in fair weather. To be there for your friend even when your friend has nothing to offer you. To be there for your friend even when your friend is offending you. One of the great examples in Scripture of this kind of friendship is the friendship between Jonathan and David. Jonathan was the son of King Saul. And David was God's choice to be Saul's replacement. And it says in Scripture that Jonathan covenanted with David. And he loved him as he loved himself. And he exhibited that friendship in the sense that he was willing to put at risk, put totally at risk, his own status as the king's son, the king's wealth, the king's position, the king's power. He put it all at risk in order to serve his friend, David. That is a foul-weather friend as well as a fair-weather friend. So constancy is the first characteristic that Proverbs upholds as a, as, a, as a godly characteristic to a friendship. Another characteristic is wise counsel. Here in chapter 27, verse 9, we read a moment ago, oil and perfume make the heart glad, and the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. That's the sweetness of real friendship, is earnest counsel. Chapter 13, verse 20 says, Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools suffer harm. Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise. Very similar to what C.S. Lewis once wrote elsewhere. He said, The next best thing to being wise oneself is to live in a circle of those who are. Next best thing to being wise oneself is to live in a circle of ones who are. I had a friend in the Philly suburbs who had a Christian financial planning business. When I first heard the name of his business, I thought, well, that's an odd name. It's called Your Best Interest Financial Counselors. Your Best Interest Financial Counselors. The more I thought about the name, what a great name. Matter of fact, 
I wanted to go around and suggest it to all the other counselors I had in life. Like, your best interest, car repair. Or your best interest, insurance sales. Or your best interest, dental care. I just wanted all the business in my life to have that name on it because I really wanted to believe that everyone I went to, for whatever counsel that may be, have my best interest in mind. Because that's a characteristic of true friendship according to the book of Proverbs. The Lord intends for us to study his word together. Together. That we grow in our wisdom in the word of God as we study it together because we help each other know how to apply it to ourselves, apply it to our relationships, apply it to life, to the world in general. In Colossians 3.16, keep in mind that the you in this verse, a very familiar verse, but the you is plural. He's talking to the church as a whole, as a gathered people. And he says, let the word of Christ dwell in you, plural, richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. That this is meant to be a description of your life, that you're teaching and admonishing one another in these godly friendships so that you might grow in wisdom through this wise counsel. I am thankful for the circle of wise counselors I have in my life. I've purposely surrounded myself with wise people. I have my wife. I have the elders and the deacons of the church. Incredibly wise men that are a circle around me. I have fellow pastors that built their life and their ministry on the authority of the word of God and the centrality of the gospel that are wise counselors that I encircle myself with. I have other wise friends who are spiritually mature. And the circle of wisdom around me is a great protection to me. It's something that feeds me and nurtures me and keeps me walking as I should. I would even make a side note here for you who are Young adults especially. We have such a tendency in this culture to segregate ourselves according to demographics. But the scriptures in Proverbs and in the New Testament continually say to seek out your elders. Not just the office of elder in the church, but those who are older, more mature, more experienced in walking in the ways of the Lord and knowing the words of the scripture. Seek out older Christians Titus 2 tells the young women to go to the older women and the older women to go to the younger women to teach you to walk in the ways of truth. That's that circle of wisdom. And remember young King Rehoboam, Solomon's son. He had a dilemma. The people were complaining about how his father had governed. And so he went to the older advisors, his father's advisors from his father's court, and said, what should I do? And they said, you should lighten the load. You should show more kindness and gentleness towards the people that you're governing. But instead, he went and listened to his young friends, the cool ones, his, 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 his buddies. And they said to him, oh, you know, you need to really prove yourself to be a strong leader. You need to come down more harshly on him. And it divided the nation. We need wise counselors. And wise counselors, which brings us to the third C word for today, wise counselors aren't just yes men. Because good friends are friends that not only give you counsel that's appealing to you, but they will give you correction. Loving correction. Verses 5 and 6 that we read earlier in chapter 27 said, Better is an open rebuke than hidden love. 
Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. You see what he did there? He set up two kind of oxymorons. He talks about the friendly wounds of a friend, but the profuse kisses or the wounding kisses of an enemy. Friendly wounds and wounding kisses. Friendly wounds are the constructive criticisms of a loving friend. But wounding kisses are the flattery of a false friend. In Psalm 141, verse 5, it says, Let a righteous man strike me, it is a kindness. Let him rebuke me, it is oil for my head. Let my head not refuse it. You see, you should look for that in a godly friendship. You should expect that. That your friend is going to tell you what you need to hear because he loves you. He's going to exhibit that tough love towards you. And tell you what you need to hear to help you walk in the ways of the Lord and to draw nearer to the Lord. And not just tell you what you want to hear. And not just flatter you for his own selfish benefit. That's what a false friend does. I remember... Speaking of older counselors, I remember when I was uh, finishing up my four-year degree in college, I, at that point, was certain that I wanted to go to seminary, and I had my whole plan laid out, and I went to uh, a summer conference uh, the year before my senior year, and there was an older minister there. He was near retirement, and he kind of took me under his arm and kind of befriended me, found out that I was thinking about going into ministry and talked to me throughout that week, and and he, um, one day towards the end of the week, he pulled me aside and talked to me for a couple hours about my plans for ministry and seminary and training and all this. And at the end of the time, he said, you know what, you know, as I listen to you talk, Dan, I don't think you're really ready for this. I think you really should take some time off between college and seminary. You should go get a regular job, you know, just learn what it's like out there in the real world for a while. Get away from the books for a while. I think it would be really good for you. And he was really insistent about it to the point where I was a little bit put off by it because it felt, you know, it hurt. His criticism of where I was spiritually and theologically and in preparation for the ministry. And I was, I was angry about it. I remember being angry about it. And I nodded politely but disregarded what he said entirely. Went on with my plans and immediately when I was done with college, I went directly down to the seminary and enrolled and launched into my first year's training in seminary and, and it went okay, but I just, my heart wasn't in it. I was kind of tired of school, and I was kind of immature still, and I was all infatuated with my new wife, and just life in general. It just wasn't going that well, and you know what the Lord did? He gave us my first son. He was born after my first year in seminary, and so I couldn't continue. I couldn't financially continue in seminary. I had to drop out for two years. Went out and got a real job. Learned about what life is like working nine to five, and a job that I didn't really like. I gained a lot in wisdom, settled my life a lot, came back to seminary after two years. I had a whole new attitude and went a whole lot better for me, and I was much more ready for ministry. I look back on those two years now as one of the best things I did during that time. I didn't listen to my older counselor, thought I knew better than him. He had nailed it. We need to be open to loving correction Chapter 27, verse 17, we read a moment ago, says, Iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another. In other words, godly friendships aren't always going to be nice and pleasant and kind and gentle and 
fun. Sometimes in godly friendships, it's going to hurt. You're going to hear things you don't want to hear. You're going to disagree about things. You're going to fight about things. But Scripture calls that iron sharpening iron. It's like a sword being sharpened on a whetstone, on a sharpening stone. That's what our godly relationships are meant to be like, to smooth out our rough edges as we speak the truth to one another in love. In Hebrews 20, chapter 10, verse 24, it says, Let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works. That stirring one another up isn't always a pleasant process. Sometimes it's painful. Sometimes it involves rebukes, loving correction. Which brings us to the final C word for this morning in terms of friendship, which is comfort. Godly friendships offer you comfort in the Lord. Verse 10 of chapter 27, we read a moment ago, says, Do not forsake your friend and your father's friend. Do not go to your brother's house in the day of your calamity. Better is a neighbor who is near than a brother who is far away. I was fascinated by that verse because we uphold the love of brothers and sisters, of real family, and it's an important biblical concept. But this verse is saying, Don't forsake good, godly friends who are nearby to go a distance to a family member that you should expect the same kind of comfort in a day of calamity from good, godly friends as you do from family members. That they're always going to be there in a time of great need. Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verses 9 and 10 say, Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. The book of Proverbs, Scripture in general, does not intend for us to bear any of our burdens alone. We are to bear one another's burdens. Galatians 6.2, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. The New Testament, one of the very, very common concepts of the New Testament is this idea of comfort. And literally the word means to come alongside, to be a yoke fellow. To pick up the burden of your friend and help him carry it. That that's meant to be a key characteristic of the good friendships in your life. One of my favorite scenes in the Lord of the Rings books is in the final book, The Return of the King. When Frodo, the hobbit, finally makes it to his destination, Mount Doom, after all of his suffering. And he is spent physically, emotionally, spiritually spent And he gets to the foot of Mount Doom and his struggle with this mission to carry this ring, this ring that creates so much evil, to carry it to the top of Mount Doom and destroy it. And he gets to the foot of the mountain and he collapses. And he can't go any further. And it's one of those places where where you're reminded that, to me at least, the real hero of the Lord of the Rings books isn't Frodo so much as Samwise. Because he's such a great example of the biblical Proverbs-laden concept of what a friend is. And one of my favorite lines in all those books is at that moment when Samwise comes alongside him and picks up his friend and he says to him, I can't carry it for you. I can't carry that ring for you. But I can carry you. And he picks up Frodo, puts him on his back, and carries him up to the side of the mountain. What a beautiful biblical picture of what friendship is all about. Which brings us to our ultimate friend, Jesus Christ. You know, 
no matter how great your friends are, they are going to let you down. They are going to fail you. But you're never alone if you belong to Christ. And you always have a friend if you belong to Christ. Jesus is that ultimate friend who sticks closer than a brother. There's this great moment in Paul's life. We tend to think of Paul as being surrounded by friends like Luke and Timothy and Barnabas and Silas, and he certainly had great friends, but he speaks very poignantly. At one point in, his, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, he speaks about a point when all his friends abandoned him. He was on trial for his life, and this is what he says about it. Think about it. Just put yourself in his shoes. He says, at my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. You've ever felt that? You ever been there? All deserted me. But listen to how Paul, as a gospel-centered, Christ-loving friend, responds to the abandonment of his friends. The very next thing he says is, may it not be charged to them. See, that's what a godly friend does. You overlook an offense. You forgive because you've been forgiven so much by the Lord Jesus Christ, your true friend. But let me read the whole thing together because listen to what he says now. He says, At my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them, but the Lord stood by me and strengthened me so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed. You see, that's what a true believer always has. The Lord will always stand by you. The Lord will always be there for you. He will never desert you. He is your friend. It may feel uncomfortable to call the second person of the Trinity, the eternal Son of God, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the creator of the universe. It might feel uncomfortable for you to call him your friend. But he's not uncomfortable to call you his friend. John 15, verse 12. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. Only Christ can bear the burden of your sins for you. And he has done it at the cross. He has taken upon the condemnation, and the guilt that all of your sins deserve, and he has borne that sin completely away. Made you clean, perfect, forgiven, even obedient in the sight of God with the gift of of forgiveness and, and the gift of his righteousness. He laid down his life for you and called you friend when you were his enemy is what the scripture says. While you were still his enemy, he laid down his life for you. If he laid down his life for you when you were his enemy, how much more will he lay down his life for you now? All the life that he has to give to you because he has called you friend and made you friend through his atoning work on the cross. Jesus is our friend who is always constant. He says, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. Jesus is our wonderful counselor because his are the words of eternal life. Jesus is the one who corrects us and disciplines us in love every day because he's our good shepherd and his rod and his staff, they comfort us. Jesus is the friend 
who comforts you in all of your afflictions, who says to you daily, come to me, you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for Jesus as our ultimate friend, the only friend we truly need, the one who has given us the gospel so that we might know what friendship is, so that we might be a friend and recognize friends when we see them. Ones who love us unconditionally. Ones who are always there constantly. Ones who counsel and correct us. Ones who comfort us. Ones who reflect his glory and his image. Thank you for those kinds of friends in our lives. And may we be constantly looking to strengthen those friendships and to make more friendships that are like Christ's friendship in our lives and teach us to break those yokes and those associations that draw us away from him. We pray in Christ's name, amen.